Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and this episode is all about changes, with a bonus change to our usual format. Well, hello there, beautiful teachers. I hope you're having a fabulous week. This episode is a little bit different because we're doing a little podcast swap. This is an idea I had quite a while ago now about doing a swap with other podcasters in the same music teaching field. I got chatting to Christina Whitlock when I was at the MTNA conference in Reno, Nevada earlier this year. She had some ideas about doing something on the same topic, and I thought, oh, let's combine those two ideas. Let's do the same topic, but let's also swap shows. So we roped Tim Topham into it, (laughs) convinced him to join us on our quest, and we decided to all record the same topic and all do our own take on it, but then publish our thoughts on that topic on a different person's feed. So it's a three-way swap between us. So what I'm sharing with you today here on the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast is Tim's recording inspired by the idea of three changes. We chose this kind of loose topic because we want it to to be open to our different takes on it and keep things really interesting for you since it's not like we're all talking about how to raise your rates and have similar advice, right? So keep listening to hear Tim. If you aren't already following their podcast, then please go do that right now before you even continue listening to this show. Grab your phone out of your pocket or go back to your computer if you're wandering around the room cleaning and just search for Beyond Measure podcast, which is Christina, and Integrated Music Teaching podcast, which is Tim's show. And you can hear all of our thoughts between us on these three shows. And if you haven't already subscribed to theirs, go ahead and do that. All right, without further ado, here's Tim. Hi everyone, it's Tim Topham here and I'm delighted to be sharing this episode with you. It's a nice short episode where we are doing the three-way swap, Christina, Nicola and I on our podcasts answering the same three questions and those questions are, sorry, the same question (laughs) with three dot points and they are the three things I'd like to change right now. And so here are my three things that I'd like to change right now. Mine are all music related. 
and I'll go through them and then I'll go into a little bit more detail on each of them and would love to hear what you think about these three things. Are they things that you would like to change right now? Or in fact, are you dead against me wanting to change these three things? It'd be great to connect with you either on the show notes page for this episode on Nicola Christina's or Christina's site or my site or our social media. Um, It's just fun to have these conversations. So the three things that I'd love to change right now is the normalization that has occurred in using method books from lesson one with a student. Number two is the requirement around acoustic instruments, particularly for piano we're talking about at the moment. Why I'll explain a little bit more and why I think that's something that should change. And thirdly, the requirement to memorize when performing. So let's unpack number one a little bit. This is the idea that method books should be used from lesson one. Now, there's a large amount of research these days, less so 30, 40, 50 years ago when everyone was using John Thompson's method and there wasn't a whole lot of research around and there wasn't a whole lot of method books around. Back in those days, there was a strong thought that really the most important thing for a student to be able to do is to be able to perform written music. And so we should get started with reading as soon as we possibly can. Now that the research has shown us that exploring sound, what they call sound before symbol or the language first approach of music means that leaving reading and writing a little bit later is a positive thing because there's so much more that we can do with students that can set them up for better experience reading and writing from those first few lessons. And I've explored this in a framework that I've created called Notebook Beginners, which unpacks What I tend to do with students for those first 10 lessons or anything up to 10 lessons before you start introducing reading. And it covers those important musical skills like singing, chanting, playing back, creativity, improvising, keeping a beat, listening to harmony. These are all things that we should be integrating right from the beginning and exploring with students because we want them to be imaginative. We want them to be curious. And we also want to give them a grounding in musical experience and listening before they have to start deciphering complex things on pages. Now, I know that a lot of methods these days and and good methods start with off-stave reading where you have sort of note symbols floating and you can associate them with a moving up and down on the piano keyboard. But even that is a level of comprehension that we just don't need to do right from that first lesson. And I know that many of you listening will probably as a child have had lessons where you were brought in and the teacher sat you down. They said, hello. They said, right, let's try playing middle C and you're going to fit both thumbs on middle C and they don't really fit, do they? I mean, when do you ever play with two thumbs on middle C as an adult player or, you know, an accomplished player? Well, you never do. And so you've got to put one behind the other kind of because they don't fit. I remember my teacher, she said, oh, you know, one, it's like you've got to put two cars in a garage. So one has to go in first, the other one goes behind it. Anyway, long story short, I mean, that alone isn't the best place to start playing. We should be starting at least an octave apart where things are more comfortable. But let's leave all that reading stuff till later. You can do it three or four weeks in if you want to start introducing reading elements. Or you can go anywhere up to 10 lessons, which is what I do. Consider, I guess, the thing that I really want to change is the theory that we should start reading in lesson one. I don't think that's true. And that's something that I really want to change. I've done a lot of writing on it. I've done a lot of video recording about it. I've done a lot of research about it. And this language first approach uh, comes from a variety of places, but 
Really importantly, Dr. Gordon, Dr. Edmund Gordon of Music Learning Theory. If you'd like to find out more about that, then there's heaps on my site. There's heaps on the internet about it. He's a great proponent or was a great proponent or his institute is of that language approach to reading where you listen first and then you babble or you improvise and you audiate well before you read write music. But it also takes elements of Kadai and Orf and those sort of oral approaches are just so musical and positive and just a fun way to start. Let's be honest, those first few lessons, what do we want the kids to have? We want them to have fun. So one of the first things I also do, and I'd encourage you to try this out if you just want one simple thing that you could change right now about method books from lesson one, and that is just to ask them, ask any new student that comes into your lesson, what would you like to play me? What can you play? It doesn't matter if it's chopsticks or the first few notes of Feralise or hot cross buns, whatever it is, get them playing, get them exploring, have a bit of fun with it, and then go on to some more musical activities. But just leave that reading till a few weeks on down the track. All right, so that's my number one thing I want to change. Number two is around acoustic instruments. Now, I still hear of teachers who require their students to have an acoustic piano. Now, pianos are expensive machines. We all know that. Unfortunately, when this request is made, sometimes parents will go out and try and find who in their family has an old acoustic piano collecting dust or what op shop or thrift store down the road has an acoustic piano, not realize that a 100-year-old piano, even a 50-year-old piano, poorly looked after, can be far worse an instrument to play on than a modern digital. That is a statement of fact. I would much prefer a student to learn on a modern digital piano. Yes, it should have some weighted keys. That would be ideal. And it will need a pedal, Don't most definitely. But it does not have, need to have an acoustic action to get started. Students starting on a crummy old falling apart out of tune acoustic piano will have an awful time of it when they could just get a digital and that's totally fine. So that's one thing that I really want to change is just the perception around digital pianos. Digital instruments have come a huge way. We now have hybrid pianos, of course, which have an acoustic wooden sort of mechanical action inside a digital instrument. And I think they're a great option for both teachers and students, but they're kind of expensive. Acoustic new pianos are very expensive. And of course, with the changing dynamics around families and technology and just the lives we live these days, a lot of parents will balk at having to fork out thousands of dollars for an instrument for their child when they don't really know if their child is going to play for that long. I've been a parent and I get that. I totally understand that. And so it's been wonderful having options to hire instruments for my children. And I would encourage you as teachers to set up a higher option if this is something that comes up in your location that parents perhaps can't afford even a good digital to have an option where they can hire from you as part of their lesson fee. It can be an extra income source for you and it can solve this dilemma that so many teachers have about students playing on either really awful acoustic instruments or playing on really poor quality keyboards because they are at the bottom end of the scale. I'm not talking about, so when I say I believe in digital pianos. I'm not talking about the $100 ones that you can get from name of store in your area that has thin plastic keys and lights up and is just terrible. 
<laughs> I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about a digital piano with a proper action. And you can get these for about $800 to $1,000 that even have a wooden stand, a three-pedal board, at least two pedals. Sorry, at least one pedal, but sometimes three. And they sit firmly. So the kid isn't going to try and do their practice while sitting on their bed cross-legged. They're going to be sitting at an instrument. This is just, it's all out there. And the prices of these good instruments has come down so far in recent years. So I really would love to change that theory that only acoustic instruments will do. Explore digital pianos. Uh, Again, there's lots of research you can do online on my YouTube channel. I've reviewed quite a few of them. I also have a number of blog posts about it if this is something that you're interested in. But do be open to it is, is I guess, what I'm, what I'm asking. You don't need to settle for a really crummy keyboard. Encourage parents to get something that's decent. Even some of the Casio P-series, which have weighted actions, are not very expensive and they are 100% better than a 100-year-old clapped-out old acoustic instrument. All right, let's go on to number three. And this is the requirement for memorization. Look, I think this is one of my, uh, one of the points I want to make today because I have always found memory challenging. And I'm sure some of you listening will be going, yes, hallelujah, Tim, I really find it hard and I wish I'd never been forced to do it. And there'll also be others of you going, I don't understand what the problem is. I just memorize and it's easy. So for those of you who find it easy and request that your students memorize things, particularly long and complex things for recitals, look, if the student is really keen to memorize or finds it easy as well, then absolutely fine. What I guess I struggle with is when I hear about teachers forcing memorization upon students just because it's the way they think it should be done or it's the way they learnt or they feel that it's the only way that someone can perform deeply and meaningfully. I challenge that. I don't see any reason why a performer with music in front of them can't be performing a thoroughly convincing, deeply moving performance just because they've got a reference in front of them. I do, do not see that. And I myself have performed many things with music and I think I do a pretty good job of it. I've got great feedback from it. I have also seen people perform concertos with music in front of them and it's been moving and emotional and fantastic. So I don't personally buy that theory that you can only truly perform a written work if it's in your head and you know it that well. Some people will disagree. That's totally fine. I think for students, though, the option to memorize, uh, I mean, a lot of students play music a lot, practice music a lot, and so much that they kind of memorize automatically, particularly that sort of early intermediate, intermediate level. Once things start to get a little bit harder and they get more advanced, then memorization becomes a real challenge. And they, to really memorize properly at sort of diploma level, advanced music, uh, you know, I'm talking Beethoven sonatas and Bach, Preludes and Fugues, you have to really know what you're doing. You have to really concentrate. You can potentially memorize and rely on your muscle memory, but in a performance, if you come unstuck, there's no real going back. So to really be able to memorize, look, I give credit to anyone who can do it. I think it's fantastic. I almost think it's like a magic trick from from my perspective. Give me a piece of sight reading to sight read and I'll sight, sight read it any day, but not to memorize. So all I'd be saying to listeners is, 
Just if you are a teacher that really values memorization, you have found that with some students, it's a real challenge and it can be upsetting and it can add a huge amount of stress to a performance that already creates anxiety for them. Then consider whether you could loosen the reins a little bit and give them options around how they perform. I think with the advent of technology as well, where you can put an iPad very unobtrusively on a music rest these days. I've even seen people perform, they'll take off the music rest of a grand piano and then sit the iPad almost lying down on the key, the, the pins of the strings. It's very unobtrusive, very hard to see. And if they're using some kind of page turner, then you, you never even see them move their arms or anything. And so if there's any sort of concern about distraction or anything like that, then I don't think that's all that relevant today either. That's my three. There you go. I hope that's been of interest to you. You may be really grumpy and upset because you disagree with all of them, and that's totally fine. I love having discussions about these things. But they are my three things that I'd like to change right now in regard to music teaching and instrumental lessons. I'll leave it with you and look forward to hearing what Christina and Nicola have to say on their shows. So make sure you go and check those out. I'm going to be doing that right now myself. (laughs) See you later, everybody. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it. And I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July. And you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.